Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss stop 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 just before this big interview begins i need to tell you about a new book being published by Backpage, the good guys the made guys who published my two books on barca and spain and who also thank the lord for them produce this podcast football 2.0 how the world's best play the modern game by grant wall is in all good bookstores from may 15th What does that mean to you? Well, Grant Wall sits down with superstars such as Manuel Neuer, Vincent Company, and Xabi Alonso. And thanks to extensive interviews with players in every key position on and off the pitch, he explains the technical and tactical revolution which has transformed modern football. This book is packed with insights that only those at the very top of the sport can offer. In the words of my good friend Gabriel Marcotti, Grant Wall is an expert storyteller who has managed to get some of the best in the world to share the secrets of their trade. So, big interview listeners, that's your World Cup reading sorted. Hello, this is the big interview at the World Cup and my name is Neil White. I'll be your co-pilot for today's podcast. Alongside me, fresh from his in-flight entertainment provided at 3am Russian time last time out, is your pilot Graham Hunter. Coming up, the aftermath of a dramatic night in Kaliningrad for Spain, but first let's look at issues resolved in the World Cup yesterday. And why not start with Argentina, who, like Germany before them, came up with a goal when their World Cup future was on the line. Argentina 2, Nigeria 1, and simultaneously Croatia 2, Iceland 1, had everything that makes these group games so thrilling. For most of the night, Iceland, Nigeria and Argentina were either in a qualification slot or one goal away from it. Graham, was this one of those in extremist wins that mark a champion. My sort of personal romantic little dream of seeing Leo Messi lift the World Cup with one hand and stick the other figure up in the air at all his critics doesn't look very likely. So no, I don't think it was. Because we've become polarised in our debate in, in recent years and maybe it was always thus, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is really so much a Leo Messi story right this very instant. If you tell, if the way I'll build that argument, Neil, is that last night, you know, he played adequately or above. He had a very, very good goal. He had two or three touches that were important. He also drifted out of the game, wasn't able to find space or his players weren't able to find him. And one or two times he gave the ball away, which is something that is, a, is habitual at Barcelona because when you try as many things as he does, what you're betting is that if the percentages are good and that the brilliance shines through seven times out of ten, then that's enough. Where I'd begin to argue that this isn't necessarily a Leo Messi story is that 
you know, the team around him is, is bad. It wasn't the case. I'm old enough to remember Pelé uh, winning the World Cup in 70. We've all looked back at the tapes. But in his team, you know, there were brilliant footballers, whether it was Tostao or Gerson or Jair or Rivellino or Carlos Alberto. But, you know, the Brazilians will be shouting other names from that 14-15 that won the, the World Cup in 1970. I know, having been much more conscious of football, that my idol of all time, Johan Cruyff, was surrounded by, you know, Rensenbrink and... and uh, Johnny Rep and John Naskins and you know fantastic defenders like Ari Han. You know, in due course, you'd have the Vim Janssen around him, helping organise things behind him, giving him the space to be in different positions. And again and again, if you look at Beckenbauer standing out, the, you know the greats around him. You know, were were Votes and and Muller and Breitner and Overat, and the list goes on. No matter who we pick out whether it's Zidane or Francescoli or Hulet, around each of these all-time brilliant footballers, including Cristiano Ronaldo, who was not the lead player in the European Championships that they won two years ago. He was the best player, but other players around him turned up, supported, worked, got things right more than they got it wrong. And they had stultifying tactics. But wherever somebody stands out as arguably the greatest player in the world, particularly if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo at, at Real Madrid. Around him, there has to be not only a team spirit, team tactics, but players who will not only shoulder their share of the responsibility, but do things right. Now, you know, in the, in the build-up to qualification, gradually Sampaoli got more players doing things right than doing things wrong. A team ethic, people working to create space for Messi, people supplying the ball to Messi, and it culminated in Ecuador. When you took Messi out of the team in, in the bits where they were trying to qualify and they looked as if they were going to fail to make it to Russia, Argentina without Messi were, you know, shit. <laughs> and last night, when I'm building to, and if you look at the game uh, against Nigeria, when Nigeria didn't play, didn't hustle, didn't compete, Argentina across the pitch, not just the gorgeous assist from Benega, had time to think, had time to pass had time to work out what was the right thing to do. And bit by bit, they had time to supply Leo Messi. Now, in the second half, all Nigeria needed to do was run at them, up the pace, close them down a little bit more, play with more confidence, play with more determination that they were going to be high up the pitch, turn Argentina with the occasional long ball, do the basics right. And all of a sudden, really the worst thing you can say about an elite side is they couldn't pass to each other. Argentina if Nigeria had gone through, would have got an assist on, on the pass to the next round because they couldn't pass to each other. It was literally unbelievable that they spent the second 45 minutes time and again finding Nigerians with passes. I mean, before the debate goes on to Sampaoli, the alleged rebellion behind the scenes, Leo Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo, whether Dybala should be playing or not, whether Kunagwara, the first thing you want to be able to do is passed to each other. And what you can see is that, number one, there are a number of players in that squad and that team who are not particularly great. There are some youngsters who are looking as if they're shriveling a little bit. But across the team, I, I still say the same as that when you and I talked about it last, there weren't many when the chips were down that really looked as if they believed, A, that they, they could beat Nigeria, B, that they deserved to beat Nigeria, or C, that there was any much point in going any further because... It's in Spanish. It's a despelote. It's they've lost control. 
Now, in the end, Mercado, who should be doing more, who should be playing more, who should be taking Mascherano-style responsibility, because while he's a, you know, he's a 7 out of 10 player, I'm not calling him elite elite, he is very talented, he's very athletic, and he likes responsibility, as does Banega. These things need to click into place. Di Maria needs to remember that he's a football player, not a, a chess player or a table tennis player or a high board diver. You know, it was one of the worst games I've seen from De Maria last night where literally he couldn't have kicked his own arse. So things need to fall into place. I think you're referring to maybe Italy in 82 when they were absolutely pants in qualifying and then caught momentum. Italy's team then was much more full of great, great players, two or three all-time great players. So the comparison doesn't hold good. And you know, I've, I've lost my little dream of seeing Leo Messi and lose Nicky Stadium on the 15th of July, Neil, and, and lifting the trophy. I, I can't find the grounds to say that there's anybody in that squad or in that team who's going to give themselves a shakedown now that they're through ahead of the France game, say, OK, the pressure's gone. You know, we've got through the group. Now we can unite and start doing things right again, build momentum, win 1-0, 2-1, 1-0. I'd like to believe it's so, but if, well, if that's happening... Um, then they gave damn little evidence of it last night until that, that lovely goal I mean a really really good finish I happened to be listening to a television station where it was described as he had lots of time and it was you know it was pretty simple he could have put it where he wanted well I thought that was an absolutely fabulous finish and one of the criteria that I'll use to talk about Argentina isn't simply about Messi or winning the World Cup or flipping Cristiano Ronaldo. I will say that despite the fact that they've disappointed us in these three games, there have been moments where they've, their performances have helped make the World Cup because the World Cup is not all about genius. So, for example, the, the Iceland game had a, had a very pretty goal from Kun Aguero. It was explosive. It was fine. The second game, Argentina's performance allowed Croatia to shine and give us all, all of us who love football, real joy. Um, in their performances. And then last night there was Messi's goal, the pass, the take, the touch, the goal, the finish off his weaker foot was gorgeous. And I'm not justifying my sort of adoration for Messi. That was that, that was a gorgeous, gorgeous goal, as was the, the finish by Rojo. And um, Argentina, if nothing else, with the fans, the noise, the atmosphere, they're giving us drama. They're not giving us five-star elite quality football. But in terms of the fabric of an overall World Cup, I'm glad they're going on, not Nigeria. Yeah, I think I get that. I think I agree with you. When you were talking about the pressure... Listeners, when, when Neil says, I think I agree with you, that means, no, I don't. There's a slight qualification <laughs> on its way. Um, you, you mentioned the pressure, uh, and then earlier you talked about the paucity of their passing in the second half yesterday. And I think if you look back to the Croatia game, the way that they just collapse in the second half then they lose discipline in kind of every sense of the of the word. There's something kind of beyond their technical inability to pass to each other in those situations. That it strikes me that that's a mentality issue. Yeah, they're, they're freezing. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're freezing. So where does Messi fit into that part of this equation? We saw him on the television giving a team talk in the tunnel. At times, I think his on-pitch leadership appears to be the sort of by-example kind. Is he ever going to be the kind of captain, do you think, who can change the direction of a game or change the mentality of his teammates with his words on the pitch as well as with his actions? That's a hard one. I think, again, I'll revert to in a situation 
where he has players around him, whether they're of epic talent or not, who are reliable, who have a system, who know exactly what their jobs are, what the strategy is, and then they, they meet those targets again and again and again. At that point, you've got players whose mindsets are intelligent enough to understand what they're doing for their captain, for Leo Messi. When do they give him the ball? Two feet so he can turn into his path, beyond him, well, not that often, to his head, to his right foot, to his left foot. How many times do they take it and give it back, take it and give it back and take it and give it back until he decides that he wants to turn or he wants to be left alone and build the play from the other side? These kind of decisions, when you're in tune with Messi, then not many words will suffice. So, for example, at Barcelona, he doesn't have to say very much in order to do exactly what you've talked about. He'll take, for example, Dembele, and he'll often shepherd him through a game. If he says to Iniesta, this is how the game's shaping, this is when I want the ball, when I don't want the ball, that's what happens. If he drops right, as he did against Juventus in the first group game of the last Champions League, it's because... He wants to hug the touchline for a specific reason. And people will evolve their play. And, and in terms of what you've asked, that can he impact things with words or orders? Yes. But can he bring order from chaos? Is he the, the sergeant major type to bully people into paying attention or making fewer mistakes or having confidence? And is, that, is he a Kenneth Branagh, you know, once more for, for King Harry? Well, no. Obviously, we know he's not. And I think it's, you know, it's... Anybody who's judging him on, on that criterion is, is, well, a little bit one-eyed. I wasn't judging him on that criteria, listeners. The goal wasn't the goal of the tournament, but I agree. I think it gets better every time you see it. Three perfect touches. A great tracking... I mean, if you look at the, the defender, I think it was Omaruo, who's tracking him, that guy can hardly do any better. He almost has a perfect job. He's touched tight, Neil, isn't he? Yeah, all the way. All the way along. So I, I thought like Nigeria and also Iceland, they both go out having contributed a great deal to the group and to the World Cup. But out they must go. So let's look at Croatia. You talked when you recorded on the plane about Spain at Euro 2008 rotating for their final group game. Everybody except Iniesta from memory. Every single player from the Sweden game, which is group match two, uh, was out and, and people like... Sergio Garcia played, Cathorla played, Pepe Reina was in goals, and the only guy who was maintained was Andres Iniesta. So Croatia missed that by one. They made nine changes yesterday, and they still won. It looks like they're looking at the long game. And I wanted to ask you about one of the guys specifically that came in. Everything seemed to go through Kovacic for Croatia. Of all the guest stars, I think he might be the one pushing hardest for a call-up to the main cast for the knockouts. And at exactly the same time, there seems to be a gaggle of big clubs having a hard look at getting him away from Real Madrid. He made fewer league appearances last season than at any time in his whole career since he left Zagreb as a teenager. Graham, do Madrid share Croatia's succession plan and see Kovacic as a replacement for Luka Modric? Or could they sell now to part fund the purchase of a new shiny thing? Well, both. The answer is both because, first of all, if you want to just rewind a little bit, or in Spanish, rebobinar, um, Kovacic, first of all, last season, started the season brilliantly, looking hot, looking as if this would be his breakthrough season and then got a bad injury. So that's why the stats present the way they do. It doesn't undermine your argument because he's still got fewer games than since he left, but that was fundamentally because he got a bad injury. And if you 
remember, one of the things that we talked about in the big inside view was that when he comes back for the classical just before Christmas, he's given this job of making sure that the space that Messi likes to drop into is crowded, is difficult to use. And there was a key point on the first goal when Rakitic makes a run, Busquets swivels, finds Rakitic, and Kovacic is, is faced with a choice just after halftime about whether he goes to close Rakitic, you know, that run that's going left, or sticks with Messi, which is his principal duty. And at that stage, he was knackered because he was just back. I think he'd had one uh, league game before that, classical. And when you're tired, you make the wrong decision, and he made the wrong decision, and he had to close the ball, irrespective of Messi being free, because until Messi gets the ball, he's just another player. Um, when he gets the ball, you're in danger. So I go back to the point that once he comes into the team, Neil, uh, Kovacic's reputation is sullied a little bit by that, that crucial single moment. So for the rest of the season, I accept that you know there's a reset button being pressed by Real Madrid. They, they make the turn in bad shape in, in the league. They've won the, the, the World Club Cup, but they, they can't get purchase in, in the cup. They get knocked at home to Leganes. At that stage, you'd have to argue that the Champions League looks a little bit distant. And Kovacic has to fight Scrabble for minutes. And that's why, at the beginning of this World Cup, what you got was Kovacic answering one of the Spanish reporters who went to uh, Croatia's first game against Nigeria and got uh, Kovacic in the mix zone and said, look, what's your position? What do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to play. I have to, at my age... My profile, my ability, I have to have more game minutes. And therefore, I'm open to the idea of leaving because I want to be a, a guaranteed first-team player wherever it may be. Now, that story obviously rebounded pretty sharply via the Spanish papers into Real Madrid at a time when Lopetegui is looking around at his options and trying to work out how much he buys, whether he sticks with what he's got, what particular strategies he wants to see his team playing with, which obviously governs the market work. And Kovacic, I said the proper answer to your question is partially both, because Kovacic could be traded in and traded in for a lot of money. For those who haven't seen him, he's extremely athletic and industrious. He gets his tackle in, but he can play. So if you want a midfielder in a three or a four, who is making it difficult for the opposition to function, um, who's able to judge when and how to rob the ball and then affect the tackle. If you want somebody whose passing ability is, is, is good level, high level, but you also want somebody who can go past players, actually drift past them, dribble past them, shoot from distance, then Kovacic has got that. This is a, a hybrid footballer who can play in the midfield, or who could play, he's not Isco, but can play like Isco does in behind the strikers. No question about that whatsoever. So if you begin to think about that and ignore the actual appearance stats and look at his trophies, look at where he's, who he's having to fight against for a place, you, you have to see that, number one, if Madrid, if Madrid desperately needed money, they could cash in on him, get a big, big price, and recycle that, those euros the likelihood is that they will want to keep him because there is a player of far higher technical ability, pace, um, excitement uh, in Kovacic than he's been allowed to show for his club yet. And what's more, 
He's culturally, not indoctrinated, but acclimatised to Madrid. He knows what the club means, he knows about what the style of play means, he knows what the spectators like and don't like, he can handle the, the media, he's evidently able to handle the pressure. This is, this is a firm footballer, and where I, Madrid, I'd be very, very hesitant indeed to be selling him. The one weight against that, I guess, is that Madrid are just super stacked in midfield. And if there's an area where they can maybe trade out to strengthen in the defence or up front if they want to go down the usual Real Madrid glamour route, then maybe it's one of those pack of sort of six or seven midfielders that they feel like they can lose. Well, well, hold on. Yeah, look, I buy your argument as it stands. But without, you know, trying to tout any World Cup transfer stories, Tony Cruz has a wanderlust. He's at the peak of his career. Clubs are queuing up for him. He's won just about everything you could possibly think of at Real Madrid. And the idea of a bid being acceptable to him at the right club, let's say Manchester United, for example. All I'm saying is that's not a ludicrous idea. Then you look at um, Luka Modric, who in September is going to turn 33. Now, at the moment, this season, one of the things that stood out about him is that his work rate and ability to rack up games is is completely off the scale. It's it's literally astonishing for a guy who's putting in that much effort at this age. Admittedly, he only had 23 starts in La Liga because, again, because of injury. But the numbers he's racked up at 33 tell you that if your point about a succession plan is cool, the demands might come sooner and sooner. Now, I agree with you about Isco and Asensio and Casemiro. They're the right age, they're mainstays. But Kovacic largely is fighting with Cruz and Modric for his place. So there's privileged information at Real Madrid that would help unlock our debate here about how rich are the resources how many more players will be added to that queue? Um, but I, I would again, I would just urge caution about whether it's an automatic that Kovacic can be sold or not. Okay, let's take a break now. Next up, Spain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. Okay, let's talk Spain now. Graham's recorded all three post-match podcasts so far, single-handed after long nights and late flights across Russia. The Morocco one was recorded on the flight itself. I wonder since then if your view on that game has changed in any way. I don't know if it's changed, but just as the suits were calling me to go and do the post-match interview, which I did do, up goes Al Nesri, the, the Malaga striker for that beautiful header that I think Sergio Ramos did. If anybody's a rugby fan, when the line-outs come in and every sort of joins to hoist the, the jumper up, well, I'm pretty sure that's what Sergio Ramos was doing there because he certainly wasn't jumping for the ball. So it's 2-1 and time's ticking away and I think probably at that moment it meant that if Iran had got a couple of goals, then uh, Spain could have been going out and blah, blah, blah. So as 
the VAR incident happens, and I'm pretty sure, even from where I'm standing on the halfway line, I have the feeling that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go Spain's way, partly because of Aspas's movement. I can't see the line, obviously, the offside line. But you can see the Spain players, you can see Aspas, you can see the confidence, and you can see rather than just harassing the referee because they know he can't change them, his mind on his own, it's a VAR moment, I just get this buzz, I get this feeling, they know that this is going to be our goal, this is going to be OK. Well, let me congratulate you on your one-man campaign to make Diago Aspas key part of this World Cup. It looks like you now have what is known in politics as the Big M. Surely he's in now. Yeah, um, don't call me Shirley, and I don't know. Um, I think as we go, we're discovering little things about Fernando Hierro. Um, what kind of man-manager is he? What, what kind of eyes does he have? As a leader, as captain, he always had things to say. He always knew what he wanted to happen. And you talked about Messi, about demonstrating by actions rather than words. Well, Hierro did both. Now, when you're taking decisions about your own career or taking decisions on the pitch as a captain and a leader, it can be instinctive. And also sometimes it can be simply um, flowing from your head to your boots without you knowing why. And the greats don't always have that clarity of football thinking. They can do it because it's innate. Now, I don't know yet which Fernando Hierro is, and it's a debate that will follow when Frank Lampard manages Derby and when Steven Gerrard manages Rangers. What do we see? What do we learn about them? What, what's different about how they can organise and teach compared to what they could do? And you remember very well the Damien Duff interview in, in Ireland where he went into detail about something that he found. He, he was laughing when he said it, but he found it embarrassing. But all the things he could do at a very, very high level for Ireland and for all his clubs in the Premier League, the first time he came to teach it, he couldn't do it. And he laughed at how embarrassing it was that he couldn't get it across. And then he set about changing that. And knowing him now, I I would bet everything I've got that he's able to teach and communicate and change. Well, let's take it back to Yero now. It's absolutely blindingly obvious and always has been that Aspas should start. He's not an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, David Fairclough guy, better when he's on the bench. It's not the case that it's important that he stays a jack-in-the-box player. This is a guy with whatever it is now, a goal every 63 minutes for Spain, cut across 638 minutes. He's not played one 90-minute game ever for Spain. If you add to his six goals, his four assists, that's 10 goals with his fingerprints on it which brings the average of when he's on the pitch, the, the average of time it takes for Aspas to have his, his DNA on a goal down to about 38 minutes. Now, you know, you'd need to be obtuse not to see that and you'd need to be unaware of World Cup history that players like that win tournaments. Players who come in and erupt in a tournament and turn situations and take chances. Players for whom things come off. Like, for example... It, in, it isn't Aspas's cleverness that the corner gets taken from the wrong side against uh, Morocco. But the ball goes out, Rodrigo forces the ball out, a Spain play on the left-hand side. And Asensio, for whatever reason, Morocco are asleep. Asleep before Aspas moves, asleep before Carvajal makes his run into Asensio to, to look for the ball. But Aspas isn't asleep, nor is Asensio. So you remember the first time you and I talked about the expression footballers para listos that Danny Alves told us. 
Football's for the smart guys. So Asensio is smart. The referee doesn't notice. Morocco is asleep. Carvajal makes a run, gets the ball at his feet. But before Carvajal even touches the ball, Aspas is nodding. He's, he's done a little artful dodger whistling. You know, I've got nothing to do here, nothing to see here, Gov. Um, um, and then a turn, a glance at Carvajal. They see each other. Aspas tells him where he wants it, makes the run. The ball's delivered perfectly and you've seen the rest. But that's cleverness, that's inventiveness, that's risk-taking, that's alertness. Now, there aren't many... Whatever you say about Koke, or whatever you say about Busquets, who've been hitting their levels in this tournament, there aren't many others you could say are showing that level of daring, that level of assertiveness, that level of cleverness, that level of form. That's really important to not just highlight the fact that Aspas has twice in the last two seasons hit record number of goals for Celta Vigo or that his goal record is extraordinary for Spain. The absolute key thing is he's the man. He's Paolo Rossi. You know what I mean? He's the Toto Scalacci. So Yero needs to show us that he realises that. The debate would be does he come in for Silva? Does he come in for Diego Costa? In, in my view, it, it's for Costa, but the likelihood is that, if anything, it's for Silva. There is another option in that Silva can continue up front and Isco goes into the midfield. Where Spain have got it wrong, and I'm absolutely crystal clear about this now, is that Isco needs to be playing deeper. Yes, he's created chances, he scored the goal the other day, but that can happen from deep. And Spain's control of the ball, Spain's confidence on the ball, Spain's ability to have pass options means that there should be if there's 4-3-3 and it's Costa Silva, then it's Aspas is the third and Isco comes back into the midfield. That's the absolute prerogative if we want to see a recognisable Spain giving the ball away less, pressing better and using the ball better. If we can move further back in the team, how sacrosanct is the PK ramos partnership, Graham? Or to put it another way, how would you feel if you were Aspilicueta right now? Well, Aspilicueta um, is one of the players I've spoken to most during the tournament um, simply because... I don't know if he should have gone at Specsavers, but he's, he seems to think we're chums, which I love. He's always laughing and joking. He takes time out to say hello. He's, he's a very big interview candidate. There's no question about that. I think it'd be stupid to say anything other than he'd expect to have a chance to play. But I, 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 it's not I differ from you. I think PK, with the exception of maybe the foul on Ronaldo in the first game, has been very, very good. The back line might not look as clever as we as you want it to be, but I think anybody who's watched Spain recently knows that the defending that they had to do previously was very different from what they've got to do now. They're jittery about what's behind them. The ball is not being controlled as ruthlessly in front of them as it was, so different questions are being asked. And it's just a it's just an absolute clear point that Sergio Ramos is is under underboiled at the moment. He's not at the peak of his form. Now my my bet is, and also I'd say that I've seen Alba with more impact on games. His effort, his pace is fine. And, and maybe you think it's hackneyed to say it'll come good. But first of all, the back four need to believe that David De Gea will make saves. And he did. He made that on the second of the two one-on-ones. He made that block, came for a punch the next time in the second half. You'd have to ask, is that blip, has is, is he needed the knot of 
of worry or tension or inattention out of a system, you'd think that's a possibility. In front of them, what they need is they need the ball to be converted. When Spain score goals, the degree to which the rest of the players relax and say, OK, our job is easier now. It's, it's like in rugby. You know, the forwards toil and slog and battle and scrum and bite each other's ears. And all they want is the backs to convert. And then they redouble their effort. So if we put a magnifying glass on Piqué and Ramos alone, it would ignore the fact that David De Gea has had problems. Danny Carvajal hasn't looked fully fit, but it was Carvajal in the 90th minute who was quick enough and accurate enough to find Aspas. It feels as if Carvajal is beginning to get his sharpness back after that injury in Kiev. And it's, it's not unfair of him to have taken two games to get there. Now, Ramos is a different case. I, I would go so far as to say that against Iran pre-match, instead of as arrogant and cocky and full of total belief as I normally see him, I saw nerves. So whether that's enough to say Nacho comes back as Piliqueta starts, I, I don't believe that. It wouldn't be a choice that I would make. But in a short-form tournament, nobody is sacrosanct. That's the key, and I think it's what you're getting at. Should there be more bloopers against Russia, but they happen to go through, then the debate gets tighter. I would accept that point. I think that great players rise to um, form when it's knockout games, and I expect to see greater assertiveness and fewer mistakes in Moscow. And boy, (laughs) it'll need to be like that, won't it? Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us, you can leave a review on iTunes. You can get £4 off your razor blades at trygillette.com forward slash big interview or join our supporters trust at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. The guys there have been sending in questions all summer long and we're going to have another Q&A with their questions to Graham coming up very shortly. There are hours and hours of extra interviews and other content over there. If you sign up, you'll get it all straight away and you'll be helping to keep us on the road for next season, whether that's with Mr. Aspilicueta or not, I don't know. For now, though, Graham, we're going to the knockouts. We're going to the knockouts seconds away, and all I can say is love you all. Dosvidanya from Russia. Dosvidanya, comrade. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.